friends. like us to turn this morning to Ephesians chapter 4, if you would please. Ephesians chapter 4, follow along as I read. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient Bearing with one another in love. You ever had to bear with someone? No, sorry. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. May God add his blessing and understanding and knowledge to the reading of his word together. Last week, we ventured into some discussion on hallmarks of a healthy church and we looked last week at a passage in Acts chapter 2, and we outlined four initial characteristics of the healthy church. A healthy church is a biblical church. A healthy church is united in healthy relationships. A healthy church is a praying church. And a healthy church engages in passionate worship. We could have stopped there. But I'm not done. <laughs> this morning I would like to draw some additional truth, some godly counsel from the Apostle Paul that was directed to the church. I want to call your attention first to the first portion of our scripture text that we read in Ephesians 4. The verse says, as a prisoner for the Lord... We understand that most of the writing that Paul did, he wrote from prison. Paul was forever a pastor, <laughs> wasn't he? He was forever concerned about the churches that had been birthed under his leadership. And even when he was in prison, when he could be sitting and saying, woe is me, I guess I'll go eat worms. Instead, Paul chose to write encouraging and exhortation kind of words to the churches, to Ephesians, Philippians, Thessalonians, and the Corinthians. And I want to say to you, before we even really start into this, that unity was a theme that Paul wrote about and preached about 
and sincerely believed. Paul believed in unity. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. On to the next verse, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. Say one another. In love, we've talked about this. Instead of self-centeredness, it is selflessness. Instead of selfishness, all for me, it's all for one another. And then he says, make every effort, say every effort, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How many of you know that it's an effort to keep unity? (laughs) Oh my. Haven't you seen situations where people are in disagreement? People are in people are in conflict. I heard a guy say recently I was, I was considering uh, uh, making a move to a, a different job. And uh, in, in the first interview, uh, one of the questions was, how are you at resolving conflict? And he spoke a little bit about that. And, and then they called him back for a second interview. And, and one of the questions in the second interview was, how are you at resolving conflict? And they called him for the third interview, and he said, no thanks. <laughs> Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then I think this verse, verse 4, folks, I think this is iconic. I'm, I'm going to say that word from time to time when we read a verse. This is a hallmark standout verse. There is one body. Amen. There's one spirit. Amen. Somebody say one. He uses the word one seven times in this passage. Do we get the idea? One body. One spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord. Amen. Yes. One faith, not a bunch of faiths, one faith. We talked about that some last week. One baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Paul uses the word one seven times in this passage. So so Paul is thinking unity as he writes in the continuation of this passage, isn't he? He sure is. He's thinking unity. So point one, healthy churches are unified. Healthy churches are unified. The key theme of this passage in the letter to the Ephesians is unity. There are three phenomenal passages from the heart of Paul on the subject of unity in his letters. Ephesians 4, that we just read through, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12. 
are three of Paul's primary teaching passages on a subject of unity. Let's take a glance at those before we move on. Romans 12.3. Romans 12.3, if you want to pull it up. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in according with the faith God has distributed to each of you. There we are again, that same idea, isn't it? Selflessness instead of selfishness. Do not think of yourself higher than you ought to. I'm not even going to ask you if you've ever met someone who thinks more highly of themselves than they should. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Verse 4, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ, say in Christ, in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to the other. Do you know that you belong to each other? Huh? The members belong. Say belong. Belong to one another. You are members. Not just of some organization called Faith Christian Fellowship or some wider organization called the Church of God Anderson, Indiana, but you are members of one another. We talked last week, it's about healthy relationships. Amen. Number six, verse six here. We have different gifts, amen? <laughs> that sure is true. Y'all are different. Some of us are more different than others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy, it says. Let them prophesy. If, if it is serving, then let them serve. If, if it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then encourage. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You know what Paul is saying here? If folks are gifted, let them do their thing. Amen. Yes. See, that, see that, brings, that brings unity. That doesn't bring separation. I think God puts people together for purpose. I think God assembles bodies that we call churches for purpose. Because there are various gifts that take place within the body that, that are planted in you. And they are there for purpose. Now look at 1 Corinthians 12. Beginning in verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all, this is the same theme as the Romans passage, for we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink, he says here. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. 
Mike, can we pull up 1 Corinthians 12, 15, brother? 1 Corinthians 12, 15. <laughs> and this is one of the most satirical, comical passages in the scriptures. Paul becomes a stand-up comedian here. I love this passage of scripture. I laugh every time I read it. Look at this. 1 Corinthians, Mike. You're close. 1 Corinthians 12, 15. There we go. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. Paul cracks me up here. This is funny stuff. It's dead serious practical, but it's hilarious. 16. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop belonging to part of the body. This is great. 17. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? <laughs> Does this strike you? As, maybe it's just me. I, this strikes me as pretty funny stuff. If the whole body was an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, listen, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. They were all one part. Where would the body be? Verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, but one body. I want you to say that. Many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together. Say that. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that, so that is a bridge word, right? So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. If there's ever been encouraging words, if there's ever been powerful words from the heart of God, there they are. You are a part of the body of Christ, 
and each one of you is a part of it. Powerful. So much preaching and learning in these passages. But the one principle that I want to put forward for our consideration today is that the unity of the body of Christ is a theological fact. All right? I want you to think about that a moment. The unity of the body is a fact. Paul in these passages is pointing out that fact of unity and exhorting the church to live like it. We must live out our life as a church functioning in unity with all the various parts able to live out their faith as part of a unified community. A bedrock part of functioning in unity as a church is humility and selflessness. Amen? Amen. We read in the Romans passage, Again, don't think of yourself more highly than you should. Each part of the body is vital. And with that knowledge and that attitude, we live out our faith in unity and community. The unity of the body of Christ is a fact. It says we are one. And he says, he doesn't say create unity. He doesn't say work toward the goal of unity. He says keep the unity. I see in that word nurture. Nurture unity. Nurture oneness. How do we do that? I'm off the notes now. How do we do that? You hear something hurtful, you don't repeat it. You start to think something negative, rebuke it. Thank you. You, you start to wonder about something maybe that hasn't been the way it has been in the past. Remember that it's today, not then. Keep the unity. Disunity happens when thoughts and ideas and words get out of control and people think of themselves more highly than they ought. That's when disunity begins to happen. I hope you never experience a church split Ron and I walked through one a few years back. God worked through that in a number of ways. But I want to tell you, hearing the words that some people said about each other made me think about giving up church for life. Before you speak, think about keeping the unity. Okay. Johnny Erickson Tata is quoted as saying in one of her books, Believers are never told to become one. 
We are already one, and we are expected to act like it. Amen. There's some wisdom from, from Johnny Erickson Tata. All right. Everybody breathe. Point two. Healthy churches have servant-minded leaders. Healthy churches have servant-minded leaders. The Ephesians passage that we read earlier talked about the gifting of various leaders. We read from verse 11 that Paul lists a handful of leadership positions here. But he says something really significant at the beginning of that sentence. Christ himself gave the apostles. Say Christ himself. Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. And then he says, for what purpose? Look at this. To equip the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Don't you appreciate leaders that you've watched serve through the years? Oh, I do. I think of several servant leaders that have been in my life. Don't you appreciate that? But this says that the primary goal, the primary mission, the primary purpose for those aforementioned leadership positions are to build up the people to mature them for the works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, some of us more mature than others, attaining, sorry, that one in there, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're to do, servant leaders. We're to, we're to push toward maturity. We're to push toward uh, unity. We're to push toward the fullness of Christ. The goal, the mission, the sole priority of leaders is to serve the members so that they can grow in Christ and be equipped to serve the Lord. There's no celebrity mindset in the servant leader. The body is built up for works of service as the leaders serve, say serve, serve the body. Somewhere, we got the idea that Christian leaders and pastors are some kind of special to be elevated above the body. The idea of a celebrity preacher is so against biblical servant leader principle. The Jesus plan for the church is that leaders serve. Just as he showed us in his life so many times. If anybody had a reason to elevate themselves above those he was teaching, it was Jesus. Amen? Yeah. But look at what he said in Mark 10, verse 45. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life a ransom for many. The Son of God 
did not come to be served. Remember, he was God. (laughs) He did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus set the standard, the model, the example for servant leadership. Make no mistake, being a leader is an honor and a privilege to be placed by God in one of these positions. But the office and function exists to serve and build up the body so that the body is able to do the work of ministry. The offices and the positions and the opportunities for leadership exist to serve the body, to build up unity, to bring people together rather than tear people apart. President Woodrow Wilson is quoted as saying this, the servant leader is servant first. It begins with the natural feeling that one wants to serve, to serve first. Then conscious choice brings one to aspire to lead. John Maxwell, the great preacher and teacher and leader and writer, says a quote that many of us have heard. People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. People do not care how much you know until you know how much you care. Leaders are to be servants. If you have people that listen at all to your words, you are a leader. If you have people that look to you as an example, you are a leader. If you're a parent and you have a child, you are a leader. Let's be servant leaders. Servant leaders. Number three, healthy churches are growing churches. Healthy churches are growing churches. Last week in the Acts 2 passage that we studied, we learned that the Lord was adding to the church each day those who were being saved. We read the words of the risen Lord Jesus to his disciples in Matthew 28. says, Jesus came to them, verse 18, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Listen, Jesus has given all authority to his disciples. Authority to do what? To share the message. To share the good news of the gospel to all the earth. We, the church, are the guardians and distributors of the message of life. I said, we, the church, are the guardians 
and the distributors of the message of life. As that message goes out, lost people become saved people. And communities of faith grow. You know, there have been amazing moves of God at times in history when large groups, thousands of people came to the Lord. But this morning, I am talking about the natural process of growth that should happen as people live out their life of faith in a community, in a community that we call the church. A natural part of it should be growth. As Paul planted churches on his various trips throughout the world, we find that people were drawn to the message of the gospel. In each city, there were these great stories of God doing great things as individuals and families came to belief in Jesus. Stories of the growth of these churches in Philippi and Ephesus and, and Thessalonica, and even in the heart of the philosophy of that day in Athens. They are remarkable stories in the book of Acts. Many times it says that because of what happened in that town, the word of the Lord spread to other parts of the region or other parts of the world. We read the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 5.13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how it can be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. <laughs> a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the lampstand, and it gives light to everyone. Jesus' words. He says to his disciples, you are salt. He says, you are light. The gospel message that is part of our lives is the salt and the light that this world so desperately needs. I said that the church is the guardian and the distributor of the message of the gospel. The, the salt and light that this world needs is the truth of the gospel. As a church and a community, we have the supply of salt. And we have the source of light. What do you think of when you think of a supply of salt? I th Rabbit trail moment. I think of the salt pile next to I-75 on an on a icy day. And that poor, forsaken reporter who ended up on salt pile duty. I don't know how that happens. I don't know if they draw straws. You know, how does a longtime experienced, respected reporter end up standing in front of the salt pile on a snowy, yucky day watching the, the front loader load the trucks with, with salt? I, I don't. Uh, Anyway, that's what my sick thinking thinks about. As a church, we have the salt pile. We have the supply. Everything that is needed to be salt to the world around us, we have been given by the Lord. I sincerely believe that. 
We have the light. We flip a switch and a light comes on. We take it for granted. So there was a power outage. Maybe on that same day we were talking about with the reporter down at the salt pile. Mike comes in early in the morning on a Sunday morning. He opens that little door there and he flips the switch and we have a beautifully lit up sanctuary. May God flip your switch. That, 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 that you can be that light. I think we've talked about it before. You take a totally, completely dark room and you light one candle and after a moment or two of your eyes, you can see the stuff in the room. Salt and light. You are the salt. You are the light. Each of us living out in unity the blessing of salvation. We read in our Philippians study this past week that we are to live out or, 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 or work out our salvation. The outward working of our salvation is becoming salt and light to those around us. A healthy church is a growing church. Why is it a growing church? Because y'all are salt and light. Y'all are salt and light. How do you find out how salty you are? The chemist takes a pH test. Sticks a piece of paper in a, in a, a, a bowl of salt water and determines the level of saltiness. Huh? <laughs> my, I don't know if you know this. My... My former owner of our company bought a house in Florida and it had a swimming pool and he had it changed to a saltwater pool. It's not just a regular old because they hate the smell of the of the of the chemicals of a freshwater pool, so they made it a saltwater pool and they claim it's easier to take care of. I don't know. You can measure the saltiness. How's your saltiness level, friend? A healthy church is a growing church. Number four, healthy churches. Got another one in there, Mike, or not? Number four was apparently missing as Scott did the PowerPoint, which was admittedly late. Anyway. Number four is healthy churches give generously. Healthy churches give generously. Churches that are healthy are made up of giving people. People who care for the ministry of the church. And they see to it that the needs of the ministry are provided for. Remember the words of Jesus in Luke 6. He said, give and it will be given unto you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, be poured out on your lap. God is building and growing communities of people. Again, back to these attitudes of selflessness. If I have an attitude of selfishness, my stuff is too important to give any of it away. 
But if I have an attitude of selflessness, I'm a generous, giving person. Again, remembering our passage in Acts 2 from last week. This is powerful. All the believers were together and had everything in common. That sounds like selflessness to me. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give it to anyone who had need. Selflessness. We must be people who give generously, both within our body and outside of our body, to those who are of need in the world. Amen. Remember, we are called to love others, and that needs to be lived out in practical, generous giving. And I don't need to say to a group of mature Christians, and I'm not just talking about money. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about effort. And I want to talk about for a moment one of the most magnificent gifts that God gives to a human being that they can share, and that is creativity. Thank you, Jill, for the creativity of what we are beginning to see in VBS this year. Jill comes in my office. She says, we should do VBS. I said, yes. And then she lays out the plan. And, and now we have a picture. Amen. Amen. The gift of, cre listen, the gift of creativity, I don't think is stretching too far to say that we are made in the image of God in such a way that you have within you creativity. God is the awesome, amazing creator, amen? And if, and if we're created in his image, I, I, I want to say that I believe that creativity is one of the things born in me and birthed in me and that grows in me that I can share. If God gives you some haywire idea, it may not be so haywire. If God gives you some crazy thought of, of, of some way that you can serve, if God gave it, take the creativity and run with it. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And number five, healthy churches have a missional focus. Have a missional focus. I see this as different than growing the numbers of our local fellowship. I see this as different than that. As we all know, there are those in the body of Christ that have answered the call to spread the gospel to all the world. I want to say how much respect and admiration I have for those out on the mission field. They wear the sandals of Jesus. They carry his words. They manifest his power. They share his love to the ends of the earth. <laughs> the names and faces of these folks are hopefully constantly in our thoughts and prayers and part of our giving and support. I've mentioned caring partners to you a few times. 
And I know that several of you are very familiar with their ministry. We saw uh, Ron and Adam last night. They wear the sandals of Jesus when they travel to Guatemala and Honduras and Brazil and even India, meeting the physical and always the spiritual needs of the people in remote areas of these countries. As your pastor, I will strive to keep missions and ministries in our prayers and in our support. I pledge that to you. I will be sharing more about this in future months, but I want to thank you for your faithful giving, both to the local church and to those who we support out in the world sharing the gospel. Rhonda shot a text to uh, Luann Lucan yesterday, day before. Sure. Louder, please. She, she updated me on, on uh, the things that they're involved in right now. And um, she's doing better physically. But um, they, what did she say, the two most, they're, they're back in, in Thai language school, which is taking many, many hours of, of their day. So she said some of the three things they're not able to help with now that they're in school. But the two that they're most passionate right now, they're teaching six. Luann Lucan to you this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would undertake for them that you would provide for them everything they need. I pray that you would provide understanding as they learn a difficult language. I, I pray, Lord, that you would pave the way to effectiveness as they reach out to people in that far country. In Jesus' name, amen. Joan Luann are in Thailand. Y'all remember when they visited here? Yeah. Long-time friends of ours. What a joy and privilege to be part of the church, amen? Part of a church in a great community. Together, let's grow into a thriving and growing and generous, healthy church body. Let's put on generosity instead of selfishness. Let's come to agreement instead of disagreement. Leaders, let's serve the church in humility and love. Let's reach out to our community and our world instead of shutting our doors as some kind of wildlife refuge. Let's be the church that God has designed instead of the church that fits our human preferences. There's a scripture that is found in the Old Testament and then repeated in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2.9. Mike, if you can grab that quick. 1 Peter, look at it. Oh, I already had it in the slideshow. How about me? 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen people. Hallelujah. A royal priesthood. A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We find this same wording in Exodus chapter 19. And I think when you see a passage in the Old Testament that is repeated in the New Testament, you ought to pay attention. Okay? See it in the Old Testament, it's repeated in the New Testament. Both passages illustrate the wonderful position that we find ourselves in as the children of God, the church. This passage will be our text for next week's message, Healthy Church 3, because I just can't preach a single message. 
Some of this is hard to think about. Some of it's sometimes hard to strategize about. Sometimes it's hard to plan for. Sometimes it's hard to program. But we can have confidence that God wants to do something special. Why? Because you're salt and you're light. And he's taught clearly in the scriptures that he has put this body together for purpose. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us and that you would grow us and that you would help us to be unified in you. Help us to walk in unity, to live in unity, to speak in unity. Help us, Lord, to identify and confidently exercise the gifts that you have given each of us so that the body might be healthy. Thank you, Lord, for for healthy churches around our community and our city and our region. And I pray for them today that, God, you would, you would guide leaders and pastors and that you would, by your Holy Spirit, set fire to congregations of people. Not that they might be lifted up and exalted, but that their communities might be reached for you. Thank you, Lord, for each one in this body each family that is represented. Help us to grow in our health together. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing with me.